I've always been very Garfield-like and sloth-like. I've just been a dreamer and a sleeper. You know, like I see kids would climb trees and run around and I'd get in a hammock with a book. I'd read like three books a day. Like I was a crazy reader and always wanted to live in another world. And now that I look back into it, back at it, I realize I was never comfortable in my skin. That was DJ and podcaster Dana Keys. I'm Jeff. Welcome to Storied San Francisco, a weekly podcast where San Franciscans from all walks of life share their stories, and you get to know your neighbors. In this episode, Dana talks about losing her dad before she was even born. Her mom soon met a new man, ended up marrying him, and the three of them picked up from the South and moved to L.A., where Dana mostly grew up. She ended up acting and doing voiceovers, which were perfect outlets for her dreamy teenage self. But then she started dabbling in drugs, and things got sticky. Here's Dana. I was born in Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, my father was a civil rights activist, which was not a popular thing to be in 1975 in Mississippi at all. A white guy. We're a mixed family. Okay. We're all a very mixed family. Okay. So, but he was shutting down whites only restaurants okay. and like getting death threats and, like, right. in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Way ahead of his time. I mean, uh, and he won. He was running for state legislature. Before this, he was like, when he was early 20s, he was writing the mayor's speeches for him. Like, brilliant guy. And then he won for state legislature. He was a Democrat, okay. uh, obviously. <laughs> he won for... <laughs> yeah. right. Well, the parties did flip at some point. I know. Yeah, so I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was running for state legislature, and he won, and the plane, the plane was shot down. And everybody on board died. And my mom was nine months pregnant with me. So, and yeah, it was really, I mean, and, and you know, when you're nine months, you're like fully developed in your mom's body. So, I mean, I still, I had pre-verbal stuff from that. Like when she talks about it, I can almost feel it. Like I was there because right. I kind of was. And she was only 24 years old, right? you know, and the news, uh, when uh, a friend of the family was a reporter and went to the scene, it was like, do not announce this till I get back and tell the family, but they announced it on the news. Mm. So that's how my mom and my whole family found out. Was it like on the news, you know, yeah. and then they brought her his, I think, wedding ring and his glasses and they were just, they were completely gnarled up, Mangled. you know, yeah, and that she had to imagine what he looked like at that moment. Wow. And um, so we um, lived in the South and um, I had this great family. My mom's side of the family are Greek and Lebanese and um, the biological, the paternal side's Cajun. And, um, which is a funny mix, <laughs> but, uh, we, I have the most loving, amazing family. They're just, I mean, the kissing and the hugging and that's just how my family is. And, uh, so it's like, I wasn't really missing anything cause my grandfather was so like a dad to me, you know, when I was one and two. Um, but my mom has always said I was like the Cape Crusader of truth. Like the minute I could talk. I was over at some friend's house, and they were asking about my grandfather, and they were like, but he's not your dad, he's your grandfather. And then when I got in the car to leave, the woman was like, to my mom, you know, heads up. And my mom goes, oh, uh-oh. And she gets in the car, first question out of my mouth, I go, where's my dad? What happened? She, I mean, like, two years, like, two and a half years old, just, you know. It's funny, because my motor skills weren't good, but I could have a full conversation at 18 months old. Hmm. Which is 
Well, it, it, it explains me. I like I, to I lay around say, and talk. <laughs> you ended up using that mouth. I, I did. To I, make money. That's right. I ended up using my mouth to make money, and I was never athletic. So, you know. Perfect. Yeah. Never good at sports. Yeah. Terrible. So, my mom met the guy that I will that I refer to as my dad because he is my dad and he legally adopted me um, and they got married and he raised me and was always my dad. Still um, still in Mississippi? Did they yeah. meet in Mississippi? No, still? they met in New Orleans. Oh, okay. Um, we bounced back and forth a lot. Okay. And he, I think he was playing a concert. He was in a little known band called the Doobie Brothers. And they were playing a concert in New Orleans and my mom went backstage and met him and he fell madly in love with her. Usually it's the other way around, and she, you know, but oh my God, he would not, he would send things to the house, and they were always on the phone. And he was one of eight kids from the Midwest, which is funny, and he always wanted kids. Hmm. He was a kid. Um, I'm told I'm the same way. Like, kids think I'm their age. And Hmm. I just experienced that over the weekend with my friend's 11 year old daughter. Because we got along so good last year, and now I feel like she's a little too mature for me. So I think I'm at 10. I think I maxed out at 10, and that's just where my maturity level and my emotional sensibilities lie. Um, like, I love Mad Libs. I play Mad Libs oh alone in the bathroom on the toilet. Were you your mom's only kid at the time? I'm my mom's only kid to you this day. still do. So, so when she met... And my dad's, yeah. When she met your dad, like, there was the one kid mm-hmm. that came with her. Yes. And he was, like, stoked on that. He was what? Oh, he yeah. Was, he was so, excited. so excited. So um, excited. He just... And I... Um, I always said my favorite thing about him was the first day I met him, um, he came to pick me up from daycare and was holding two roses, one for each of my hands. You know, like, not one for me and one for my mom, but two for me. That's adorable. And his favorite thing was the way I looked from one rose to the other and then looked at him and went, ha, ha, like, so excited. Like, who is this guy? I loved him. Like, we were immediately bonded and we were best friends for forever. And he was an active addict and an alcoholic at the time, which I didn't know. And I never really suffered from that. Like, I mean, I saw my parents fight. That's it. Like, he never, you know drove me wasted or nodded out in the car like nothing bad ever happened he never beat me or you know did it um, make sense in hindsight as you became an adult you're like oh yeah that those mm-hmm. things did- little things <laughs> like like a little thing like for example when he was on heroin um i remember he'd be on the cat we'd be watching tv and i just remember his cigarette ash would get like three inches long because he literally you could be very still on heroin so he was over there watching TV, and I would run with the ashtray, catch it, and then go back. But literally, there was nothing upsetting about that to me. No, they're not just. At all. But I mean, one thing about me as a kid is I would never wanted to be in reality. Like I had this crazy great life. Like I was always on tour, um, and you know, going around and traveling. But I would meet people when we were on tour, and I would tell them a different. I tell them a fake name and a fake story about me. I would say that like my mom sold encyclopedias, and my name was Rachel. And it's so funny, these people would then meet my mom and go, oh, you must be Rachel's mom. And she was like, no, but I bet I'm the mom of the girl who told you her name was Rachel. Oh, my God. Like a little, you were just like having a little wonder. I've always been a little storyteller, like a maker-upper of things, if you will. So, yeah. When you said tour, you mean Doobies. Yeah, the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. I I was on tour with them all the time. We were always in Hawaii, and the Doobie Brothers are like... I don't know how to explain this, but it's like we're just one big, huge family. Like they're a family band, especially now. You know, like the other kids Generations. who have yeah, the other yeah. Doobie kids who have kids. Those are like my nieces and nephews. And right. It's like I feel like I have siblings. Yeah. Even though I'm an only child. 
So you you, you kind of grew up in Mississippi, Oh, no, New no, no. Orleans, oh, or... I completely forgot to mention That's that. That's all right. No. So my dad lived in the Bay Area. Oh, okay. My dad's a Bay Area guy. Okay. He was in Nicasio, which is in Marin County. Yeah. And um, he, like, he lived on Lucas Valley Road. He shared the mountain with George Lucas. I was just there yesterday. It's so pretty. I love it. Nicasio is yeah. so yeah. just yeah. idyllic and beautiful. So... I, we came up here, and I don't remember why. I think it was for business. I'm not sure, but I do know the Doobie Brothers broke up for a while back then, mm-hmm. and we moved to Los Angeles. So back then, like early or 80, 80s, early, early 80s, 80s, early 80s, yeah. And so me and my mom, with our very thick Southern accents, are now living in L.A. Okay, you know, and everyone's like, "Where are you from?" You know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the way the kids were like, are you from Texas? Oh, I know. Yeah, the very, valley. very not. I know. Very I'm like, not. no. Because yeah. I was like friendly and I called the teachers ma'am and called everybody y'all. And, you know, and these kids were like, eh. just, you know, valley kids. Was, valley it a, kids. was it a southern accent or a Cajun very accent? Very thick, both. Like very, very, I was very, it was just so thick yeah. that it was, I was hard to understand. Does your mom still have it? You know what's funny is she has my whole life. But I feel like there's something she does when she's talking to people, like in a group setting where they don't all know her, that she hides it. Oh. And I've noticed it more recently, and it upsets me because I love her Southern accent. Yeah. You know, I think it's adorable. But when she came here in the 80s, everybody was into like New Age, you know, Ram Dass and all that, and everybody's going to women's groups. Mm-hmm. And she felt like her accent made her sound dumb. Oh. I know. Yeah. And she wasn't. You know, yeah. but I get it. Sometimes you, I mean, that is a common misconception. People hear you talk and they're, you know, it's, you sound like Andy Griffith. Like, you know. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so you guys moved to L.A. That's... We moved to L.A. And, and about, I, you were about like, what, seven or something? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was about six or seven. And yeah, so I started school there and I lived, I grew up there. How was it? But you know, but both um, Bay Area and LA. Being a kid from the South, like, what was it like to be that young and be like, "Oh, I live in California now." This is. I know. was very excited um, about. I mean, my dad. I didn't want to move to California, and um, I think I don't know. I think I was excited about it, but I don't know if I wanted to live there. But immediately upon arriving in LA, um, my my biggest crush was Arthur Fonzarelli. My whole life. Immediately upon arriving, my dad took me to a taping of Happy Days, oh and I met God. the Fonz. Yes. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm good at this yeah. point. You know, I'm fine. Yeah, I, we could stay here. <laughs> Did he do the snap and you came running? <laughs> no, and that real that to this day is something I'm bummed about. He was so nice. He's Henry Winkler. He's, He's an the insanely nicest nice human man. being yeah. in the world. I yeah. know. And later on, like my first job, like in high, one of my first jobs in high school was at Tower Records. And he came in and I remember a guy being like, hey, the Fonz is here. And I'm like, you're going to be so let down. I love watching people let down, being let down. The guy was like... Dude, he was so nice, and I'm like, you're the Fonz, hit something. I remember seeing But he's the- not, he calls you sweetheart, yeah. and he wants to look for the classical music section. Um, and I went, so I went to like a lot of uh, private schools mm-hmm. growing up. Um, a lot of other, like, there was a lot of kids of celebrities there. Um, it was very hippie. Uh, There's a school called Oakwood. Um, this is down in L.A. Uh, this is in L.A., and... and uh, it's very less, Oakwood was like the less than zero school in the 80s. Yeah. Um, Oakwood and Buckley and Brett Easton who wrote Less Than Zero went to Buckley of course so it's like and we were very connected with them um, so I mean it, yeah it was a di- it was a different world all the kids wore shirts that said question authority um, they quote like were, they on their senior page would quote, quote the Rolling Stones or the Beatles and it was just 
they all kind of wanted to be 60s kids or something mm -hmm. and that was just what I was used to mm -hmm. and then um, once I got to high school I went to LA County High School for the Arts which you have to audition to get into but it's free mm -hmm. um, and that was like an East LA what did you audition for? Theater. theater. Yes, okay. I was. I had already done acting as a kid. I was doing. I did tons of voiceovers, but like uh, I would, did a lot of TV commercials. Uh, notably, a Rainbow Bright com commercial with Heather O'Rourke from Poltergeist. God rest her soul. R.I.P. God. Yes. R.I.P. Um, and of course, because she was blonde, and this is L.A. in the '80s, she was blonde and cute and little, and. We were the same age, but I was, you know, brunette and a lot bigger than her, so I played Lurky, the hairy beast. Because <laughs> I could do this voice thing like this, you know, and I, so I was Lurky, and she was the pretty little rainbow bright. Oh, my God. Is and that commercial, like, can we find it now? I don't, you know YouTube what? I've looked for it. My husband's yeah. looked for it. It's yeah. so hard to find. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like it should be findable. Someone out there listening. Right. Someone out there must have Let's it. Let's get this. Um... And like I did a high C commercial, I did an episode of General Hospital where I was just like a kid in the hospital. And then I auditioned for, um, I was doing really well and like I felt good about it and I liked it. And then I auditioned for something that was obviously written for me called Punky Brewster. Okay. And it was down to me and Soleil Moon Fry. But again, and I was the real life Punky Brewster. I wore a different color Converse and blue nail polish and like... But again, she was tiny. So Leia's still tiny. I mean, she came up to my waist back then, even though she was older. She was unknown before that role. Was I she know. not? I don't know that she. I, I have no idea. We'll figure it she out. She was later. adorable. Yeah, oh, but, I know. but you're saying like it, you were real life, and she was. Right, right. I was. I felt like I was Punky Brewster, but they were like, and afterwards they were like, you know what? This was such a hard decision. You guys are so great, but we thought about it. And instead of saying, like, she looks younger than you or she's smaller, they said, but you're just too big. That's and always I, awesome to hear. I mean, and it didn't really register with me, but my mom heard it and was like, nope, no, no more, never again, never. She was so worried that I was, you know what I mean? She Kibosh didn't want me to hear things like that. Because, yeah, after, who knows, after a while I could have become anorexic and maybe it right. would have affected me. You right. know? Maybe I would have stopped eating. I don't know. Yeah. But I didn't register, thankfully, and my mom let me continue to act doing voiceovers. Okay. So, like, my first radio commercial, this is, and it's so funny because growing up, with your dad being in a band, I've met everybody, and I'd never care. But I, my first radio commercial was with the voice of Garfield. Oh my God. And I have never been so starstruck. Oh I mean, they were like, we were doing mic checks, and they're like, Dana, Dana. And I'm like, that's, that's Garfield. And he was so touched. Yeah. He was the sweetest man. He's this little Italian man named Lorenzo Music. Oh so adorable. I think I've heard that. He was before. he was the voice of everything. Everything, yeah. But he was so touched and honored by that. And yeah. we got to do more commercials together after that. So it was, that was like the highlight. That was my joy. Did you ask him to say I hate Mondays? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was I, I was that starstruck. <laughs> right, right. It was amazing. Okay, so you switched over to you said ra radio commercials. Oh no, or uh, just yeah. This was all. This is radio voiceovers for radio and for TV. Okay. And uh, then I ended up going to Arts High, and it was all theater. It was all theater from there, and like I just planned on probably doing theater for the rest. Maybe indie, I wanted to do indie films, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, really, when I was in high school, I wanted, like, David Lynch was my dream guy to work like with. Like, late 80s? Yeah, now like, I was going to work yeah. with oh, David yeah. Lynch, yeah. and then after that, I was like, Quentin Tarantino was my guy. Yeah. Like, I was going to work with these people, and I was going to have this career. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately for me, drugs came into the picture. Okay. And I'm an addict, so my whole life became consumed by drugs. 
I guess just walk us through. Okay. Well, so my like I told you, when we, my dad was an addict, and he got clean and sober when I was about ten and a half years old. So I always knew about recovery and sobriety, and that drugs are bad. And, and the I, way out. Yeah, yeah, the way out. And I watched what it did to him. And because of that, I wouldn't touch them. And everybody who knew me knew that. They were like, "Don't talk about drugs in front of her." I was. Mm. It was so funny to think of me as being as anti as I was. I was so. I was right. like so. I was into straight edge. Straight I was edge. Like, totally. Yeah. Drugs are gross. X's on and your hands. And they are. Yeah. And, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I loved going to all ages shows because they would put the X's on my hands. Mm. I you was proud. Straight so edge proud. music and everything. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. I loved Minor Threat and Fugazi, yeah. and it's so funny. But what's really funny is like. They wouldn't even now. Well, now because I'm sober, I'll go to shows and they're like, they're like, do you want a wristband? I'm like, no. And can you put an X on my hand, please, <laughs> for old times' sake? <laughs> Full circle. I know. I, I know. love Full it. Circle. I love it. But so uh, yeah, I was in high, I was in high school and there was this drug that everyone was referring to as crystal. It was the only thing I'd never heard of. Mm-hmm. See, if they came to me and they were like, cocaine, I'd be like, nope, my dad talked about that. I know what that is. Or if they said heroin, I'd be like, oh, absolutely not. That took my dad down. Mm-hmm. Um, and alcohol to me was always, it's so funny, it was just the grossest thing. Mm. The smell of it. I hated the way adults acted when they drank. All like, like anybody, beer, wine, every yeah, alcohol? Yeah, okay. just like, ugh. Yeah. Um, Except like my uncle who, who would like, you know, just drink beer and smoke cigarettes like a regular person. I liked the way it smelled on him. Yeah. But like I didn't, but like my mom, my mom is so not an alcoholic. She's an incredible lightweight mm-hmm. and she'll drink like, you know, a sip of a glass of wine and she'll be like tanked and I would be so embarrassed and angry. You know, like, such a, I was such a terrible kid. Okay. But so, um, so this crystal thing that I'd never heard of. And another thing about me is I've always been very Garfield-like and sloth-like. I've just been a dreamer and a sleeper, you know? Like, I see kids would climb trees and run around, and I'd get in a hammock with a book. I'd read, like, three books a day. Like, I was a crazy reader. Okay. And always wanted to live in another world. And now that I look back back at it, I realize I was never comfortable in my skin. Hmm. I was never, like, just okay with reality, even now. I was going to say theater and and some of the voice work you were doing and drugs are, you know. Make-believe, They're they're other worlds. They're other worlds, absolutely. They're other worlds. And all the books I read when I was a little kid, like A Wrinkle in Time and, you know, The Phantom in the Toll Booth, like... I just was so into this magical world, like Lord, yeah, not Lord of the Rings. I didn't read that till I was adult. Uh, why can't I? The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Favorite all-time book, favorite all-time story. Like mm-hmm. I was just, I mean, and literally, I would go to my grandparents' house because in the South, all the houses are big and they're very haunted. Yeah. And I would know in that closet if I walked in, there was another world. But I wouldn't open it because there was definitely a ghost in there. What? Like, and it's so funny. I go back and I look at these closets, and I still know that ghost is in there. It's like just, just so visceral. But yeah. um. So I, I tried this. So I, anyway, I was very lazy. Was my point with the whole sloth spirit mm-hmm, animal mm-hmm. thing? Like I'm just lazy, and I was like, okay, I'll try it. Can I drive on it? And they were like, Chris- yeah. crystal, crystal, yeah. Mm-hmm. So can I drive on it? And they said yes. So I did it, and I was like, I need this. I like how it's LA, and you're like, can I drive on that? <laughs> Dude, I know, right? Right? Seriously. Oh, later. I'll try the drug yeah, if I can then, drive on it. <laughs> Then 24 hours after I had that question, I never drove sober for five years. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so there's that. Right. But, um, uh, yeah, so I was awake, and I, I was so shy in high school. Like, I think a lot of people might have thought I was stuck up because I was quiet, and I have, you know, like, I, I can look tough and angry when I'm not smiling, even though I'm not. My personality is goofy. But I was able to be me all of a sudden. I felt like I was able to be me. I was able to be talkative. And I was, first of all, I was able to do homework. 
which was uh, I was able to get up in the morning. And yet, no longer sloth-like. No. Not on I'm that set. I'm awake and yeah. ready. It yeah. was, you know, I mean, the first couple of days I chewed my face off and it was, I thought I was fine, but my friend who introduced me to it was like, dude, stop chewing your face. Well, your friend should have given you gum. Hello. We weren't, I think we weren't allowed to have gum. I think we were in theater For class. I know, right? Fuck, fucking, I know. It's like, come on. Yeah. I'm here doing crystal in the bathroom and you're not going to let me chew gum. I should have said that to the teacher. <laughs> that, yeah. that might have put an end to my little. <laughs> Otherwise, you would have been fine. You'd I been know. like, I'm an addict, and but I but I have my teeth. Exactly. So yeah. Exactly. Good. My teeth are good. Um, I think I did start chewing gum after that. After I did you chewed my your, teeth. After you chewed your face off. Yeah, it was more yeah. like I was chewing my bottom lip because the next day I had that like Beverly Hills duck lip looking thing. Like, yeah, it was just swollen. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you. But obviously, and I think you just said it. You liked what it did. I liked what it did, and I did it for an entire year and a half straight. Mm -hmm. Um, Like every day? Literally. Oh, wow. Not a day went by where I didn't do it. Okay. And it took me to my knees Mm -hmm. in that period of time. Um, By the end of it, like, I couldn't find the the glassy-looking stuff we were doing. It was, like, brown and wet and just making me feel... I, I think what that was was um, I don't know what that is they call it it's like not it's it's something very different but it's still speed but it's such a it's a chemical and it's gross and I was like I feel awful like I can't even feel good anymore and I don't want to do this anymore so I literally slept for like an entire week mm-hmm. and then I walked out this was like the summer between my junior and senior year and I walked out to the living room and I was about to come clean with my parents, and I was like, hey, you guys, look, and they were like, sit down and shut up. And I was like, okay, and they're like, you're going to rehab. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not, it was already my idea to quit, you can't do that, I was just gonna tell you I was gonna, you know, and they beat then of course. You to it. Yeah, they beat me to it. Okay. And I mean, to, for my dad to see that, because teachers would call them in and go, something, she's on something, and my dad would chew them out, like, how dare you mm-hmm. like accuse her of that after she saw what I went through there's no way mm-hmm. and that was another reason it was just so devastating I didn't want to tell them because I didn't want right. him to be like what are you thinking and this was you said before your senior year yeah was it yeah. going to be instead it's of it's because I still had baby fat and I looked normal and all of a sudden you know like summer happened I went back to school my junior year and people were like what right. I mean I was dick skinny my skin was bad I always wore sunglasses my eyes were so sucking it sucking yeah. in you're a, a meth addict I was a meth addict yeah, yeah absolutely yeah and um, yeah I just so they put me in and this is so LA they put me in this place called CPC Westwood and the first person I saw when I got there was Todd Bridges from Different Strokes and I know I'm not breaking his anonymity because he's very openly in recovery sweetest guy ever by the way so sweet and then that that weekend they had a public speaker come in it was Corey Feldman of course. so yeah so the thing is like we're, we're in this place and and I, but the kids that I was in there with were in there for like behavioral issues. They were like, you did what? Right. So they were, I was kind of being shipped out and then put in group with the grownups. But I didn't relate to them either because they were shooting heroin. And I was like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's a d- different level. Totally different level. Yeah. Whole nother level. But so um, I went, I, I spent the summer doing treatment and doing outpatient. Um, my dad really wanted me to go to AA because he did. And I hated it. I did not relate to anyone in there. I felt like they were just all old. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you about alcohol. I'm like, alcohol is so stupid. Yeah. You know? And Lame. Addiction's addiction, but alcohol's different. Uh, alcohol's a different thing? Yeah, it's, it's a different thing. 
Uh, and I didn't think I was an alcoholic because I had never done it, you know? Like, so uh, I basically just kind of stopped. And then I just lived like a normal teenager life my senior year. Um, and I, still doing theater? Still or? doing theater, yeah. I was, was doing that? theater. I was working at Tower Records in Hollywood. Like, yeah, just having fun. Like, sometimes maybe we would, like, do... We would, like, trip. We would, like, do acid or something. Sure. Maybe Harmless. some yeah. pot. Like, yeah. once every three months. Right. Um, but theater, I didn't love those things. Was like, theater kind of, like, your your thing? You were thinking, like, I'm going to do this? Clown was my thing. Wow. I liked physical comedy. Okay. Commedia dell'arte. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like, I love that. Like, I like funny, crazy slapstick. Okay. Um, one of my favorite shows, or one of my favorite people in the world is, is John Ritter. Mm-hmm. And, like, I grew up with him just making me laugh. Yes. You know? And I just got just became very into that kind of theatrics. Mm-hmm. Um and it was great, and I, and I had full intention to like go to NYU or Juilliard. Um, I did not get into Juilliard, and uh, because my thing was I, I didn't do homework. Like I, mm. I've always been this half-ass underachiever my whole okay. life. You know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, the only reason I graduated from school is because my theater teachers loved me. Because mm. it was the fame high school, you know, fame that school. It was mm-hmm. that's what it was. Like you went to your academic classes from like nine to noon or eight to noon, mm-hmm. and then from one to four you went to your elective. Mm-hmm. And I, by my senior year, was showing up at noon just to have lunch with my friends before I went to my elective. And all the academic teachers were like, "She's so out of here." Yeah. But my theater teachers were like, "No way." She's in my play. <laughs> no way. So, I mean, like, big shout out to my theater teachers for just being as loving and cool as they were. Like, you know, a couple of them were, or I'm still friends with them. And, like, you know, one of them was just my hero, the one who taught right. me about clown and all that. Right. It's because I was finally able to get out of myself and not get in my own way mm-hmm. without being high. Mm-hmm. It was like the greatest feeling. It was like I found myself, awesome. but I had really bad grades. <laughs> You know, not doing homework. Yeah, there's the whole not doing homework thing. You know, it's like it's like I'm sorry, without math I can't do this. So, (laughs) you know, yeah. Um, so yeah, I auditioned for colleges. Like all my friends went to the East Coast. I (laughs) didn't. I ended up staying in LA, uh, working Tower Records, and going to UCLA. (laughs) And slowly, because I'm a sloth, my UCLA classes got less and less till it was like one night class nope. or, you know like just I was sick of it yeah you just want I just wanted school. to act yeah right, it's right. like I don't want to take ballet I want to be a ballerina that right. defines me you yeah, know what I mean yeah. like I don't want to be here doing this mm-hmm. so yeah it's like I just well I have it's like if some if I'm interested in something I don't even need to study it I can tell you everything about it if I'm not I literally have to reread one paragraph over and over I'm like I just don't care I don't care if I don't care, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. But so, I, um, I ended up staying in LA, and I had nothing. Like, I had no goals, really. And what was I doing? And I was going to start acting again, but I was really lagging getting into it. Like, the okay. headshots and all that. My boyfriend from high school broke up with me, I think, because I was leaning on him too much, probably. Like, because I had no focus. <laughs> And I got really devastated when that happened, and I started drinking and partying a lot. Were you already living on your own, away from your mom's house, or? At that time. Like after high school? No, no, I was still living with my parents. Still living yes, with your parents. still living with, with my parents in North Hollywood. Okay. And um, I just went through this like awful depression, and you know, I was using chemicals and like drinking, and mm-hmm. so my dad 
you know, is like, dude, it's the Bay Area. It's LA. My parents hated LA. I don't know why they lived there because they hated it the whole time we <laughs> right. were there. They would never shut up about how much they hated it. Was it for they the were, band originally, or why? I think maybe. Yeah. I think so. I'll have to ask my mom. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't know. But I, all I know that they were like, we gotta get out of here. We we just this, we hate it. Mm-hmm. And I remember being like, you can't. You cannot, I will stay. I will move in with my friends. Because wow. I loved my friends. Yeah. And my L.A. was not the Kardashian L.A. My mm-hmm. L.A. was fun. Mm-hmm. My L.A. was rad. Like, I had a great childhood. I had sweet, so much fun doing so much crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, and I knew all these artists. We were just always doing really artistic, you know, we were doing performance art and just being weirdos. It was great. I had the greatest childhood. But your my parents were like, ruled. your parents were like, the Bay Area is your punishment. No, they were they like, no, it. it was after high school that I got depressed and all oh. my friends were gone. Well, most of them. Okay. Uh, they were all in school in the East Coast that my parents were like, you got to go, like, just try this. And my dad was like, Marin. Marin was where I was when, you're, when I was your age and it's the greatest place. And it's like, okay, I get that Mill Valley was one way in the 70s, but check it out. It was not like that in the late 90s at all. Yeah. I'm like, is that a Grateful Dead sticker in a Range Rover? That's, I've never seen that. That's great. That was Dana Keys. Check back Thursday for part two, when Dana will talk about moving up to the Bay Area and the roller coaster ride of her young adulthood. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Hunt. Our website is storiedsf.com, where you can browse more than 100 episodes, check out all of our live events, and visit our store to help support us. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to the show on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. If that's Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do us a favor and rate and review what we do. And if you have any feedback for us or suggested guests, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.